what you can hear in the background there is a small stream running off the mountain uh, on its way down towards to join the, the River Ammon. I'm uh, about five miles south of uh, Manith D, the Black Mountain, um, at the western end of uh, the Brecon Beacons. Uh, not to be confused with the Black Mountains, which are at the east end over by Abergavenny. Um, so this is uh, close to where I live. And uh, I was walking here recently and I just realised that it was there was something very calming about this landscape and I was trying to pinpoint what it was. I'll sort of describe a bit about what I can see and then I'll go into sort of what I think I'm responding to in terms of the sight and sound. Okay, so um, the over to the uh, east here I can see uh, what's the what used to be the the waste tip from the open cast. Um, the, that the open cast is now pretty much finished now. For a while, it was a very big hole in the ground. It still is a big hole in the ground. Um, they filled it back up a bit, um, and then what they're now in the process of doing final landscaping work um, to leave uh, artificial hills. You'd have to say, rounding them off slightly, spreading soil on them. Um, and then they're going to be left for whatever happens next. Um, there's some complex planning history which means that there's no money to restore it properly so they're just going to do the best they can. Um, used to make me angry. <laughs> um, now I sort of live with it. Um, so yeah, so I, from where I can hand and now I can see there's a cluster of about five different uh, machines, diggers and lorries um, working away and that will keep them busy for a few weeks if we're not a few months. Um, so yeah and then beyond that as I say we can see the uh, the ridge of the mountains um, looking north um, uh, which uh, so they're called mountains they're quite high but they're actually very gently rounded. I found when I was uh, trying to paint pictures of these hills that uh, in my mind they're much sort of steeper than they are in reality. In reality the slopes are quite gentle, it's just they go on a long time. And I think that's something uh, It's interesting when you look at um, sort of fantasy landscapes. Um, one of the things people often do is they get mountains wrong. They make them far too steep. Um, in the same way that uh, the, you know, the Walt Disney Castle in Disneyland always used to annoy me because it looks nothing like an actual castle. Um, it looks like a fairy tale castle, it looks like a pretend castle. Um, uh, it doesn't have that um, dull squat shape that uh, real castles have. Anyway, yeah, so those mountains are over to, over to the distance. Um, and then um, about, uh, you know, in, towards, towards, as we come off the hill, um, what we've got is uh, a valley area, which is um, green, lots and lots of trees um, and lots of pasture fields. Um, these days, not very well used pasture fields. Um, uh, you know, there's occasional sheep, but not much else. Um, but that's the landscape um, within which, uh, say, the weird thing about this place um, is that until about 1890, it was a rural backwater um, with pretty marginal farming. Um, the, the, the mountain tops being used for summer grazing for the sheep and cattle. 
um, and then sort of small farms scraping a living um, down in the valleys. That was the pattern of it uh, until the anthracite colliery started um, in the 1890s and all, uh, almost overnight this became like a gold rush um, and the villages grew up. Uh, the mines closed, became an open cast um, and now the open cast is closed. So I was going to try not to get onto the narratives before I finished describing it. So yes, and the main thing I, I can see is say is is say what well you have to call it rough pasture, not very well drained, lots of rushes, uh, occasional sheep. Um, there are it is still farmed. There are sort of fences being reasonably well maintained, um, but there's hardly any sheep here. Um, and I say I don't think these sheep go out onto the common much anymore. So um, it's uh, it's it's an abandoned landscape. And uh, so the reason I was sort of particularly struck by this landscape when I, when I came here before was that um, uh, I was thinking about the, uh, the landscape of Lord of the Rings where Tolkien describes. Um, and one of the things, points he makes is that, this is, that, that his landscape, Middle Earth and our landscape, is very much an old landscape. There's lots of things going on here. And that the, our response to being here has got a narrative side to it that we are at the end of something that we're not this isn't a you know however idyllic this seems um, it is um, in a sense it's an we're in the aftermath of lots of things that have happened um, and so what I'm going to do now is just sort of run back in terms of just in terms of what I can see um, to pick out what it is that's you know telling us this is an old place. Um, so I should say to start with, I'm, well, the, say the, the, what I'm sitting next to is, uh, is this stream um, and uh, this stream has next to it the ruins of Wernthe Farmhouse um, which was occupied in 1840s on the tithe map. Uh, I think it's still there in 1900. Abandoned I think in the 1920s. Um, I guess probably built in about 1800. Um, it's built out of local stone, not built out of brick, um, and as I say, it, it, was, it had five or six fields around it, um, so it was its own self-contained little farm. Um, that farm building, so it's been abandoned for, what, maybe a hundred years now. Um, the ruins are pretty much overgrown. Um, the gable wall stands to about two metres, six feet or so. Um, the rest of it is comprehensively disappeared, either been demolished or just fallen, away, fallen apart um, and no real sign of, you know, nobody's lived here since then. Um, you know, the, the farms have become solidified in terms of the land holdings um, and whatever people there are live down in the village uh, apart from the, the farmers. So, so in a way that's, you know, that we've got that, we're, we're going back, what was it, 200 years there, 1820. Um, and in fact, the greenery that we can see here, in terms of what's now mature trees marking the old field boundaries, presumably they were planted either as fences, fences with, with trees in them or as hedges, and those have just grown out. So those trees are equally 150, 200 years old. Um, and so, yeah, so what we can see now are, are, as a, um, almost like a, a, a moorland, 
Um, so in, uh, it used to be well, well looked after fields, but it's not anymore. So that's an area. So in a way, so we've got that overtaking in the same way that the, um, the trees are growing in the, in the old house site. Um, the hedges have grown out into, the, into these trees. Um, so that's a, you know, sort of, so that's one area, one top period that's gone, and that, and all that's come and gone, um, before the coal mine had come and gone. Um, so what's weird about the stream is it also marks the field boundary. Um, that over, immediately over it, um, the, the the landscape has been completely smoothed because that has been mined and then um, uh, levelled after that. Um, so this this bit of bit I'm sitting on now um, has never been dug out. Um, there's presumably some coal lying underneath it, but it's been left. Um, whereas, um, say, 30 feet away, over the over the boundary, over the stream, um, it's all been dug away. Um, so this, at one stage, would have been well, say, 100 years ago, would have been a, um, a highly industrial place with uh, um, machinery and lots of people, um, lots of buildings and things, um, and train taking coal away and all that and all that's gone um, and it's funny isn't it because you know that's the trick with nostalgia isn't it um, what they say about uh, how many folk singers does it take to change a light bulb one to change the light bulb and three to sing about how much better the old one was um, there is tendency for us to think that just because something happened in the past that it's automatically um, uh, romantic or good um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm ambivalent about coal mining, <laughs> I'd have to say. Um, uh, and, uh, but, you know, whatever it is, it's come and gone. There is something you know, human about that process, which comes back to the thing about being after. You know, here, here you know, this is genuinely a post-industrial landscape. Um, specifically, I'm in a, a merely post-agricultural landscape at the minute. Uh, there's a post-industrial landscape over the road. Um, uh, yeah, so so that in that sense, it's a, it's an old an old place. Um, but there's also here, I mean, as well as the, the, the those grown out field boundaries, there are occasionally there's just a few um, uh, really uh, uh, vintage oaks, um, which are probably older still, um, and they were probably there um, at the time this land was being enclosed for the farm um, in the I guess in the 1700s. Um, so those are the just you know those are those that go back to when um, well bef just before this was this land was enclosed when it was all just open common. At that stage, this area was used um, mainly for um, transhumants that people would from down in Gower um, would bring their sheep up over the mountains um, to here to graze for the summer and then take them back again. Um, and so this was left as, as open, open pasture, open common, um, only being enclosed piece by piece um, in the 1700s and 1800s. So, um, so yeah, so, so those oaks, the tail end of that pattern of behaviour, which certainly goes back into medieval period, um, goes back to um, the Norman conquest. So um, there we are, we're back a thousand years then. <laughs> Um, uh, obviously there's no actual trees left from a thousand years ago um, trees don't live that long you occasionally see people claiming that new trees can live a thousand years but they're wrong um, but um, this is 
Yeah. So as I say, so so the point is that this is uh, has seen a whole series of phases of human activity, um, and this most recent one um, is almost like an afterthought that we're reverting to nature. We've been on. There's been a, a sort of a intensification of use. You know that this was a presumably at one point this was a bustling farm, um, and now it really isn't. Now it's just one one fence down away from being effectively taken back into the open open mountain side. Um, but I think the key thing is that in terms of understanding, you know, how we respond, um, I say that the in a way the stream is a sound, obviously is a sound. I hope I've uh, it's a bit a little bit windy, I hope I've I've managed to shield the mic from that. Um, but you can hear well, what you can hear is the absence of things to hear. Um, if you're, you might just be able to catch some of the, the um, machine noise from the open cast, because I'd certainly heard a bit of that recently, um, on the way in. Um, but apart from that, we've got the stream, and we've got a bit of bird song, an occasional sheep, and that's it. There's nothing else. Um, yeah. And on a gloomy day, you might say, this is quite a miserable place to splosh through. Um, they, they, it's not well drained, that's why all the rushes are here. Um, you have to be careful where you put your feet. Um, and, but nobody, or almost nobody, comes up here. Um, there's something very uh, rewarding, I think, if you walk across a, along a footpath and you see that the only other footprints are uh, hoof prints, you know, sheep and cows, horses, um, that there's been nobody else here since, uh, since, since the last time it rained. Um, this is a very quiet place. And uh, last time I was up here, I saw uh, there was a buzzard hanging around in the, one of the trees. Um, and so yeah, so in a way, sort of trying to think about the, you know, the emotion of the landscape. Um, paradoxically, looking at this now, the um, if you accept the uh, the cold tip, <laughs> which mentally I tend to do, I tend to uh, sort of edit that out of my head. Um, what I can see is almost entirely natural or human or if it's human it's sympathetic to the surroundings so there's a post and wire fence but the woods nicely weathered um, the fence is, is slightly rusted so it's not sort of shiny white shining gray um, you know it looks benign I think we tend to uh, you know we accept that as being almost as good as natural don't we um, so yeah, so I say, what I'm going to see is grass, rushes, trees, um, and then say the distant view is the mountains, There's, um, which is most, mostly green. Some areas are going purple from the heather, um, some areas of exposed stone, but it's, um, this would appear to be almost entirely natural. Um, there's nothing, um, nothing human messed up, I say, apart from the cold tip, about this view. Um, 
that's illusory, of course. I mean, the reason the mountains are like they are is because of the way that they've been managed. Um, uh, I can remember back when, uh, back in the 2000s, when we had the foot and mouth outbreak. Um, I was doing some field work um, in the uplands, over in the Black Mountains, in fact. Um, and, uh, well, in fact, it was uh, just after foot and mouth. Um, and it was noticeable that what had been, um, you know, a close-cropped um, grass covering for the mountain um, had... The vegetation had changed significantly, having had, uh, I think it was a year or two years off from being grazed by sheep. They'd taken the sheep off the mountains. Um, and uh, so, yes, yeah, so, so the mountains look the way they do because of the way that we are using them or not using them. Um, there's not much active management. I mean, nobody's going up there sort of cutting, cutting the heather or anything. Um, but, you know, it's there. It's, it's 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 that shape because it because of of how we use it, and equally of course with that with the rest of it, these trees are here obviously well, because someone planted them, um, and someone let them grow, um, and in due course I suppose someone will come and cut them down eventually, um, or clear them away. Um, and equally as I say with the grass and so on, if if they decided not to keep sheep, then the grass would grow out well we'd have a succession to a different vegetation um, one thing down by the stream there's uh, there's brambles with uh, blackberries on honeysuckle um, you know you've got a bit of uh, succession vegetation going on there um, that they've seen the opportunity being undisturbed and they're one of the first uh, first plants to to take over um, but yeah, so I, th I think the, the, you know, what I wanted to recall really was, okay, well, you know, well, to ask the question and say, okay, well, um, are we really saying that what we, or what I respond to in a landscape is the absence of human, humanity, um, or at least the, um, the uh, lack of noticeable human activity? Um, and I think it's interesting because I would say that there are there are there are overtly natural landscapes out there, um, and that to me I find them less appealing. I think there's a sort of a, a domesticity to this, a sense that um, uh, I suppose you could say that if you know if if this was my farm, then I might if I dedicated ten years to it, then I could get it back into some sort of shape. I mean, not that it's in bad shape now, but you know, if it was mine to look after, I could, I could, I could look after it. Um, and in a way, sort of, that's what's interesting about the the, the ruined house is that the, it is. It's not a house. It's it's just a wall now. Um, if it was more like a house, then it probably would have been by now renovated, turned into a, a home of some sort, or sold off as a holiday cottage. Um, you know, having a having a, the right to build a house um, in the countryside here uh, is potentially valuable, and the fact that nobody decides to do it is an indication that it's just not um, it's too far gone. 
Um, but yeah, as I say, I think it's it's um, you know that calming thing about well, I, I know you know I think I've said before about the um, the effect of the colour green um, is supposed to be calming. Um, I did look for some evidence for that and I wasn't very happy with the evidence base. I'd heard the claim before and there is a little bit of evidence but it's not very strong. Um, but certainly, personally speaking, I would say that I enjoy looking at green things probably more than anything. Um, and you can probably just hear there's a plane. One of the things most noticeable after in the first few weeks after after lockdown was the, the you know normally we have we're on the uh, the the route that the jets take on their way to from uh, London to America so we have you know we normally have uh, two or three trails in the sky at any one time can't really hear them but you can see them um, and one of the things noticeable was that we had a sky which did had no jet trails in and equally no propeller planes. Um, not that they do, do very much, just fly around. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to try and capture the, um, say the, in, in some ways, so this is a very mundane spot. And I always think, you know, when people um, when I mean, you have that question about, you know, what's your, what, what describe your perfect day? And people say, oh, well, you know, I'd be, um, you know, in the Mediterranean and I'd have cocktails for breakfast or whatever. And people come up with these very grand ideas. Um, and I always think, actually, you know, to me, I, I think small and simple, you know, that, you know, you, you can have perfect days when nothing much special happens. When you just happen to get up in a good mood have a good breakfast, do something something interesting, doesn't have to be big, yeah, you, know, um, you know, there's things like you know, harvesting, picking apples, that's a fun thing, you know, at the end of the day, and you, you ache a bit because you've been busy, and you feel like you've earned your tea, maybe a drink, and it doesn't have to be, you know, sort of, uh, going to see a museum or anything, it can be something as, as domestic as that, as simple as that. Um, and equally, I would say, you know, it would be hard pushed to claim this is the most beautiful spot on earth. But on the other hand, um, you think, well, this is a place which um, happy to spend time. The only other thing I was going to say, which I'd forgotten about when I was talking about the sort of the sequence, is I got far as far back as I think where were we? The Norman Conquest, weren't we? Um, which around here is about 1100, of course. Um, the Normans take a while to get across from from England. Um, but if we want to go back before that, um, quiet here in the Iron Age, I think you'd have to say. Um, we've got Bronze Age cairns on, on the summits in most of the mountains here. Um, at that point, the Bronze Age inhabitants uh, were probably living 
in fairly mobile settlements, you know, sort of um, moving quite regularly. We left very little trace of their um, domestic sites. Um, but they used their cairns, their burial cairns, um, as their fixed points in the landscape. Um, so it must have taken a lot of work to put them to put them up. Uh, and then rolling back before then, we get back to post-glacial times, 10,000 years ago. Um, this valley is, has got, well it varies in depth, but up to 10 metres, 20 metres maybe, of post-glacial clay from the left behind by the last glaciers, uh, sort of choking the edges of the valley. And then underneath that you've got the, the bedrock, scraped away by the, by the glaciers, creating the valley shape in the first place. Um, and uh, the streams here have very steep, deep valleys um, because this, the water's been cutting through that post-glacial deposit, um, creating that sort of the, the, that odd landscape where you've essentially got quite, um, quite level and then these very deep cut valleys cut through. And so, in terms of things which we're after, after the Ice Age, after the Bronze Age people, after the Normans and the sheep, after the enclosure of the fields and that farming, after the coal mining, and now we're left wondering what to do next.